Good morning and welcome to worship this morning. Uh, be sure you find you a wonderful place to sit. We are enjoying the breeze. God has been so good for so many weeks. Uh, we appreciate all of you who keep praying. And we have several announcements I want to share today. And so as I share them, hopefully in weeks to come, we'll be able to clarify uh, more so. But let's begin first and foremost this morning, uh, just in a word of prayer. And uh, I want to go ahead and open us in prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to join me in the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll share announcements in that order instead. And so let me lead us, and then if you'll join me in the Lord's Prayer, you'll see it printed there in your bulletin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful again for your grace, Lord, that we're able to come to enjoy uh, not only the fellowship of believers and the gospel, but Lord, to be in your creation and to, to realize, Lord, that you are the one who has put it all together and that we're able to be unified together with creation in all ways. And Lord, we just pray this morning that you'll uh, find favor on our service, that we'll be able to get through, we'll be able to commune together in the Lord's Supper. Lord, that we can set aside all the earthly, uh, materialistic uh, worries of the world and anxieties and spend just a few moments realizing the importance of what it means to be one who is involved in godly living and giving. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you the praise and glory. Lord, we realize that as we are blessed, that we come into your presence not because we've earned it or deserve it, but Lord, again, we can come to the throne of grace through the veil that your son Jesus has torn for us. And we're able to pray, Lord, as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship so we can continue to praise the Lord. You'll see it in your bulletin. It comes from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. What a blessing. Well, we have the privilege again to confess our common faith together this morning through the words of the Apostles' Creed, which are printed for you in the bulletin. So let's confess our faith together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Because the grace of God is greater than our sin, we have the courage and the boldness to come before the Lord as we confess our sins and as we are led again to the cross. So pray with me this corporate prayer of confession in your bulletin. Have mercy upon us, O God as befits your faithfulness, in keeping with your abundant compassion, blot out our transgressions, 
Wash us thoroughly of our iniquity and purify us of our sin. Fashion a pure heart for us, O God. Create in us a steadfast spirit. Do not cast us out of your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from us. Let us again rejoice in your help. Let a vigorous spirit sustain us. Amen. And as we have faced God's perfect law that convicts us, we now look up and we hear and receive the blessing of God's grace in the gospel from Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you're looking to Jesus, brothers and sisters, if you know that you can't save yourself, look to Jesus and see that your sin debt has been canceled. As bad as our sin is, God's grace is greater in Jesus Christ. So be encouraged, be strengthened, and continue to worship today in the knowledge that Jesus has taken away your sin. As you are being seated and taking your Bibles, turning to 2 Corinthians, let me just take a moment and ask the Lord if he would bless his word here this morning. Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that you'll take the wisdom of your word. Let it be surpassing to the words I have to say. Lord, please take the efforts that... I, the music team, and others have tried to present in the truths and use them to form and fashion each of your servants the way you want them to be. Lord, we want to leave today knowing that we've been touched, we have been changed, and it's all because of you. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We have been slowly working through... Uh, so many opportunities about what it means to be effective in ministry. And we have been challenged by Paul tremendously, not just about serving Christ, but what it means to be a godly person. How is a Christian's life supposed to be different from a non-Christian? I've titled the sermon, uh, I know others probably have, but let me be faithful, uh, Dr. Kelly, one of the professors at Reformed Seminary wrote a book in 2 Corinthians, but he, he entitled several of the different sections throughout Investment Advice, and it stuck to me. And this morning, I want to give you some investment advice. Uh, not because I'm the wealthiest person in the world. I'm probably one of the poorest. But I want to share with you the importance of what it means to be involved in godly living and giving. Do you know what separates the Christian from the non-Christian is your pocketbook? I'm just going to be blunt. I am not here begging for a raise. The amount of money that you tithe is not going to determine what the elders say they're going to pay me. Now, you could designate it directly to me and that would be okay. No. What I'm here to say is that what separates us is we have a willingness within us 
a change that has taken place in us and a transformation that gives us a desire that wants to help people. We don't like to see people suffer. We don't want to see people going through agony. We don't want to see people in poverty. We don't want to see people taken advantage of. We don't want to see people hurting, lost, and struggling. And the reason being is because that's exactly who we were. That's exactly who we were until God showed his love toward us with Jesus Christ. And the grace that he so freely gave to us in giving his only begotten son a cost that many of us will never understand was so that we could enjoy a life so different from those who do not know God. So I want to challenge you this morning in chapter 8. It's not just this chapter. I want you to be patient with me. It would have been very easy this morning to just simply say, hey, I'm going to preach through chapters 8, 9, and part of 10 so we can be done. Because they're all about giving. And who wants to hear about giving every day? Now that we're doing online services, I felt it only necessary that I could become more of a TV evangelist. Yeah, you think I'm going to ask for a lot of money, don't you? I can hear that. No, that's not true. Chapter 8 reminds us that I'm willing to give you some investment advice for free. For free. There are many of you out here today, if you're a part of the rest of the world, who pay people on a regular basis to give you investment advice. And the advice they give you may help you monetarily, but does absolutely nothing to get you to the place you really want to go. And no matter how much you pay them, and no matter how much they make you, you will fall short with their advice on reaching the place you truly want to retire. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to retire well. Very well. And I think the best way to do that is to find myself on the streets of gold with pearly gates in places to where the value cannot be determined monetarily. But because I'm in the presence of the Almighty where I get to spend eternity with those who are richer than anybody else. So whatever advice you're receiving, I'm not saying it may not help you get along in this world. Have a few things extra and enjoy some things. But oh, I want you to be careful. Because the world has figured out that as materialistic as it is, it doesn't take long to bless us with some until our hearts feel that the more we have, the more satisfied we can be. And for the rest of our days, we make decisions trying to be satisfied by how much we have. Oh, it's a wonderful story here in chapter 8 as I read it to you. Yes, all this information and investment advice that you have been given is to help you understand bliss on earth. But you will fall short no matter what your return if you're invested 
in the wrong thing, in the wrong person. So let's listen to the advice that's free, that will help you reach a retirement place that you would never imagine. Paul writes to the Corinthians about generosity when he says in verse 1, chapter 8, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he has started so that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What a challenge this morning. And it's always hard when you speak on a few certain subjects. Preaching is not always easy, but sometimes it's a little harder than normal. I'm not here again, let me remind you, to ask about your pocketbook, how much you make, what you spend it on, if you're living right. I am here to ask you, are you representing godly living and godly giving? Is your heart in the right place? If you're going to be effective in ministry and make a difference in the kingdom of God and touch the lives of others, you've got to understand this principle. We are invested in something far greater than the world could ever advise us on. And the blessings that you will have in this life will not be from the monetary investment advice we receive in this world. Several things I want to share with you, but first let me say this. In the materialistic world that promises satisfaction, I want you to protect your heart today. Ask yourself, your spouse, and your family, have we been living materialistically? Have we been living materialistically? Let's just be blunt. Do we have more than we need? That's the question. And so I ask you, if you have more than you need, why? What are you going to do with it? Isn't that amazing? The very simple question, maybe I'm involved in materialism. We're living in a time of pandemic right now, which is very challenging. I mean to offend nobody. I truly believe it's a God thing. I truly believe he is challenging Christians around the world to rethink, to reconsider, 
and to reevaluate just what the church is all about. Just what Christians are made of. What are they willing to go through? How much are they willing to pay? What's the cost they'll go through? Oh, there's much more to this than just trying to figure out whether an authority wants to take advantage of us. We know from the beginning of time that the pandemic is not an issue with God. The virus is unconcerning to Him. Let me just say this bluntly. He created it. He knows how, how it was made and came about. He knows how to control it. If you don't believe that, let's just take a moment and jump back in time and have a private conversation with Moses as he took on Pharaoh. And they started battling themselves over the plagues. Did God have any problem at all bringing about a plague? And did he have any problem at all bringing it to an end? No, but I will promise you this. It happened in his time as his people responded to the demands. What's God demanding of you right now during the pandemic? What change is he asking you to make? Where does your trust need to lie? You see, there is time still, believe it or not, that you can reinvest. You can reconsider your investments today. And I'm not talking just money. But as everybody always tells you, and you have learned in a materialistic world, it's always time to realign, to reassess, to reevaluate. You want to make sure, as they would tell you in advice, that your money is working the best way it can work in the safest way possible. Well, I want to give you some better investment advice. If you have much more than you need, it's time to reevaluate. It's time to reassess. It's time to redistribute. And it's never too late to reinvest in the kingdom and to do what it is God's called us to do. What better time? God may be saying, is my church going to rise up? Or are we going to depend on the government to provide for our needs? As I had shared this past week, as our staff met, as Nick and I have shared, you could go back. This is not meant to be a, a socially motivated sermon, but I wonder what happened all the years before the 1930s. For those of you old enough to remember, I'm just kidding. I see some of you looking down, wondering. What happened when one nation finally said, rather than the church taking care of the people, let's start putting our assets together and let the government do it. Let's start allowing the government to bring us security, to provide for our future. In other words, let me put it in a blunt sense. Let's put our faith in Caesar for our future rather than our faith in God for his kingdom. 
Oh, we are so thankful for the many churches who have gone on in spite of programs. Realizing the responsibility to care for your parents is yours. Parents, the responsibility to care for your children is yours. For we're even instructed in Scripture that we're worse than a heathen if we cannot care for our own. As Christians, are we invested in the body of Christ? Are we invested in the battle against the world? Or have we joined forces, enjoyed the privileges, and now experiencing a safety because of worldly advice? Well, here's my answer. It's time to reinvest. Write these down. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Who has your heart? Who has your heart? The answer is in godly living and giving. The world will offer you all kinds of money and wealth. But spiritual advice offers you the Lord with great riches. Do you want a life of great riches? Let me give you four things. One, the person who is in godly living and giving is one who is spiritually derived. Listen to what it says as we go through the verses. We are told here in very first verse of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that God has been given out among them. The churches of Macedonia. He's writing to the Corinthians about the churches of Macedonia. He said, if you really want to be effective in ministry and your heart is really right, let me give you an example of churches who understand what it means to be spiritually derived. It's origin. Your giving is not and should not be just because you have extra. Your giving should come from the heart, spiritually derived, because of the grace that God has given you. Grace that God has given among the churches of Macedonia. Listen to what it says in verse 5. This was not as we expected. Talking about the condition and how they had given. They said they gave themselves what? First to the Lord. Do you look at your helping the neighbor? Do you look at your providing for those hurting? Do you look at supplying the needs of those who are without? Not as a gift to them. And not as a gift that you can be proud of. But it is first giving to the Lord. That your life needs to be first given to God. And to trust that whatever God wants you to have after that is okay. It's not wrong to be blessed with finances and money. Let me reiterate, as long as you give it to me. It is not wrong to have the wealth. What I would encourage you of is the parables throughout Scripture that remind us as to how you use the wealth. Maybe God has entrusted you with the gift of giving. An actual spiritual gift. If you've never met someone like that, let me remind you of the importance of having those in our lives that always seem to come around the corner just in time of need. As you're listening to the prayer requests and their cars are broken down, their surgeries cannot be performed, 
Their diseases cannot be handled. Their homes cannot be fixed. Their shelters will go broken. And we find ourselves praying, Lord, if you could just provide for them. And yet you have the excess to help. One thing that pierced my heart. You can't hide from sin. You also can't hide from God's beckoning call. It may just be that you heard the prayer request. That you were in that prayer meeting. That you were in that group because God knew he'd equipped you, prepared you, and placed you so that you could bring about the glory of God and he would get the glory for what you're about to do. It's called being a vessel of honor. Used by God to accomplish his purposes according to his plans. And God's means ordinarily are to work through people. Are you letting God work through you? Listen to what he says about being spiritually derived. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others. Look at what other Christians are doing. Folks, we're in a pandemic. I get it. We're in hard times. I understand. Things are going to get tough. I know. But it will not be anything like countries around the world. When people are working in sweatshops for 40 cents a day. When people are living in huts in which every rainstorm calls for rebuilding. When they're fighting for any kind of medical attention, that usually means amputation because there are no other drugs. As we glance around the world, I'm not saying it's our job to police the world. I'm saying it's our job as Christians to take care of the body of Christ. God is using you to change the world. To be a witness. Let me just be blunt. Not only are we here because it's spiritually derived. But listen to this. It's self-driven. Godly living and giving comes about not only because it begins being spiritually derived. But it is, if you could say, self-driven. Listen to what he says in verse 3. They gave according to their means. As I can testify, beyond their means. And then listen to this. Of their own accord. Folks, we didn't have to take up a deacon offering. We didn't have to have love offerings. Because people were lined up to Paul, if I could say this. They were gathered around saying, Paul, let us help. There's got to be somebody in need. We've got extra. We've got some things we don't need. Let us find those who are in need. You see, it was self-directed. It wasn't begging and pleading and asking. It was because the people who had been touched by the grace of God and had freely received. You did not go to Christ on your own. God, I sure wish I could change my life and if you could give me a little grace, that would be sufficient. No, you were running, scared. And God came after you. And he freely gave his son, Jesus Christ. He said, I want to change you. I want to remake you. I want to invest in you. 
for a lifetime, for eternity. And that same grace shows in a self, if you wish, driven motivation that we should want to help, want to give to others. Verse 4 says it this way. Listen, Paul says, they were begging us earnestly to give. Folks, I've been ministering now 30 years. I'm 35. And for most of my life, I've been preaching. I have yet to have those few that have come after service. Lord, man, Pastor, that was the best sermon. No, I take that back. I've had many people say that. No, I've never had someone say, that was the best sermon. I'm so convicted. I'd like to sell my house, my extra cars, my third wardrobe. All of our, I'd like to just give because I feel this compelling need to just help the, I don't know who they are, but I want to help. God's convicted me to just give with a compassion to bless. Oh man, listen to what he finally says in verse 7. But as you excel in everything and in faith, speech and knowledge and earnestness and in love, excel in this act. It's the reference back to the giving you need to excel in a self-driven motivation to change the lives of others. I'm not asking you to be foolish. Don't throw money to the hogs. Don't throw it to the wind. But if I asked you this morning, do you know one person that we know is in need. One person. How could an entire church not change the life of one person? I can tell you why. Pastor, you're saying that if this person needs a house that we could just pull together and build them a home that they didn't pay for, that they don't deserve, they haven't earned, and that they'll take advantage of. You're saying that we're going to pull together our resources and abilities to bless somebody who has shown no effort or interest in the kingdom of God. In other words, Pastor, you want them to have more than me. That's the reason. Because in a materialistic world, we're more than willing to give as long as the one we give to will never have more than what? Me. It's got to be spiritually derived. Your giving must come because God gave to you. And it's got to be self-driven, not because people are begging and pleading with you. We have a box over here on the side. We have a basket for the deacon's offering. After that, we're going to take a love offering. Vacation offering. A new pavilion picnic offering. Wouldn't that be nice? We're just going to keep taking it until you're empty. So you might as well just get it out now and what? I can't do that now because I know the excuse. You know what it is? I already mailed my check in. It's got to be spiritually derived. 
self-driven. Listen to this. Finally, it's or next, it's got to be socially directed. It can't be just given to the one you want to help. Pastor, I'd like to give you $25,000, but I want it to only go for an expanded elevator. That's not socially directed. I've got some extra money. I'd like to put a new roof on the building. I'd like to change the siding to a different color. Maybe plant some more bushes. The green team needs new tractors. Those aren't socially directed. Those are personally enjoyed. Those are preferential. You see, when it's socially directed, listen to what he says. It is the grace in verse 1 that God has given among churches, among the people. He didn't give his son to look good, to provide opportunity. He gave him to die for you. For people. Not to save structures, but to save people. We give socially, if you wish, verses 1 through 4. Listen to how many times the pronoun is used. It was their abundance, their extremes, their part, their means, their means, their own accord. They expected. It's the group. It's the people. It's the church. When we give, it needs to be socially directed. Not into just programs, not into just things. It needs to go to people. God cares about people. He sent his son to die for people. As we're giving, we finally realize, look at verse 4. This is the amazing part. They were begging Paul earnestly for the favor, the opportunity. That's a word you can look down in many things. It's a grace or a thanks. We want to give back. Verse 4. For the favor of taking part in the what? The relief of the saints. Man, we want to give to Jerusalem so they can build a bigger temple. We want to give to missions so we can buy a school. We want to help the pregnancy clinic so they can build more rooms, hire more counselors. Let me tell you how Christians are socially directed. It's the ones that we say, you can keep your child, that nobody else wants. It's the Christians that step forward and say, we'll take responsibility of that child. That's what separates us. If you've ever adopted a child, fostered a child, just ask your investment advisor how much that's going to cost. Wow. It's for the elderly who nobody else has rooms for. They interfere in our lives. They take over our plans. They interfere with our children. They really need their own place. They need safety. Someone who can look after them and care for them. And when nobody else wants the seniors so that they live in the homes in which nobody else visits them. It's the Christian that says, I'll help. I wonder how much it costs to take care of an ailing parent. Did you ask your investment advisor that one? 
You see, we live in a world in which Christians who are spiritually derived, we're, we're making changes because of what God did for us. We're motivated from within because we know we can make the difference. We know we've got the ability to be different. And it's got to be socially directed. It's got to involve people. It's amazing how many billions and billions of dollars. I say this to every high-tech organization that follows our small service. To every IT corporation around the world that's trying to tune in right now. That there has been over a hundred billion dollars given to take care of a virus. The same amount of money that would feed every hungry person in America. But we're more interested in protecting ourselves. We're not socially directed. Let me use a better term. We're not helping the body. We've taken the gifts that God's given us. We're wasting them on a virus. I'll tell you how much money it takes to overcome the virus. None. Because no matter how much you raise and no matter what you do, they've already said the virus is changing. I'll tell you how to get the virus to go away. Just tell the Lord to take it when he's ready. Save the hundreds of billions and help those who are hurting and make a difference forever. And finally, not only do we need to be spiritually derived, if you wish to call it that, comes about because of Christ, and not only do we need to be self-driven, coming from internally, no one else motivating us, socially directed, but finally, we need to be sacrificially donating. Listen to what it says. Verse 2, in their service, severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth. I bet your financial advisor has never said, if you really want to be wealthy, you need to go through some severe affliction and poverty first. Because that's what brought about wealth. You see, in the Christian's mindset, we can make a huge difference even in poverty. When the world says we have nothing, we have more to give. When we're going through afflictions and the world says we ought to give up our lifestyle, we know that God is testing us, proving our genuineness of our faith. I can't be but reminded when God said to Satan, have you considered all my servants as you've wandered about? What about Job? Isn't that amazing? That Job's life was not tested and was not afflicted because Satan didn't like him. It was afflicted and tested because God told him to do it. Satan simply said this, Job is enjoying the world because he has everything he wanted. You have blessed him beyond imagination. That's why he loves you. I remind you of verse 7, the genuineness. Or verse 8, 
of Job. Maybe we need the test of poverty to truly understand affliction. And then we would truly understand wealth. That it's not about money. I have met some very rich people who have absolutely nothing in the world's standards. If you could give up one restaurant meal a month, give up one bottle of wine in a month, If you could hand over one game downloaded and paid for on your phone, one coffee, and we call that sacrificial? Sacrificial giving. Look at verse 3. They gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means. How do you give beyond your means? Let, let me paraphrase that. You give up your wants and desires and keep only that which you need. You see, when we give sacrificially, we give because we're giving up the things we want. They were giving sacrificially. They were giving of their needs. The car broken down on the side of the road needs gas. And you're welcome to help, but you siphon it from your tank to their tank. At least that's what we used to do when we needed gas. But I can only give them so much because if I help them get home, I may not make it home. But you know what? That's okay. I don't have that far to walk. Maybe I'll turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Or give them my coat. How do you give? This is not a sermon on your title. But let me conclude by saying this. When you give, are you giving to the Lord? Because it's spiritually derived. And are you giving because it's self-driven? You want to give. You want to give back to the Lord and to bless His body. Would you say it's socially directed? I want to make a difference in the kingdom. I want to help people. I want to use my gifts for His glory. And finally, is it sacrificial? Are you giving this morning 10%? If you're giving 10% this morning, that's not sacrificial. For some, 3% is sacrificial. For some, 50% would be sacrificial. What is sacrificial? It's above and beyond your means. Paul simply wrote also in this same book to these same Corinthians when he simply says, 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the greatest of all giving came through you. That you are the picture of giving above and beyond. That, Lord, you were able to change things at the beck and call, to create out of nothing and to breathe it into existence, to bring up the virus, to bring up the plague, and to cast it out. But, Lord, you chose to give to give your very own son, to give of yourself. You became poor that we might become rich. Now help us, Father. Give us the grace that is needed that we could not only be living godly, but giving godly as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would receive the benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all God's children said,